You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I am very pleased to be bringing you the irrepressible Slim. And uh, when I say irrepressible, both here and in the show notes, let's just underline as well. He's extremely funny. It's just that I've listened back to the interview. And what I love most about him is how incredibly likeable he is. Very, very funny guy. Saw him in Bristol on his King tour. Uh, And he is indeed, I mean, he's at a really fascinating point in his career. He's been the king of black British comedy ever since. Well, maybe not ever since. Maybe let's give him a little bit of wine a bit of time to get good after this incredible origin story where he was shoved out on stage to do his first ever gig in front of a sold-out Hackney Empire. I won't say he's been the king of black British comedy ever since that moment, but he definitely got very... He started good, got even better quick, and then has been absolutely at the top of the black circuit for years and years and years. And now he's crossing over. We're going to hear more about that. We're going to hear about um, his, uh, his show last November at the London Palladium, which he sold out himself with very little TV exposure. And we're going to talk about the tension between his natural humility uh, and the swagger that you need to kick down doors and get proper famous as he is on the way to being. 20 minutes of extra content available exclusively to the Insiders Club uh, include Slim on uh, whether connecting with audiences a teachable skill, uh, the decisions that went into his Live at the Apollo set and lots of other stuff besides. Without further ado, you're just going to fall in love with him. If you don't know him already, he's wonderful. This is Slim. Where should we start? Shall we start with the Palladium? Why don't you tell me how the Palladium went? You played it just before Christmas, I think. I did. November the 14th, it was. Um, it was it was a, a surreal and unreal experience, but it was a brilliant experience all the same. Um, you know, to play at one of Europe's, I wouldn't even say, even the world, one of the, the, the theatres of the world, one of the biggest and well-known theatres of the world, um, for a guy that's just come from, you know, South London, little, uh, Caribbean <laughs> kid <laughs> <laughs> that made it into the Palladium. I mean, that's where the Queen chills out, isn't it? So <laughs> you can't get much better than hanging out where Lizzie hangs out. And you did, like, it's, it's interesting because I, 
like to me, I've, I've only seen you live the once. I saw you in Bristol at the, okay. the Comedy Box when you were on tour there doing the yeah. King tour. Yeah, Just yeah. gone. Wicked. And fantastic. Really, really enjoyed the show. Thank you. And, and I'm kind of aware of you as someone who, I tell you where I've seen you more often than I've seen you live. I've seen right. you on posters of like Black Circuit gigs yeah. for probably my whole <laughs> life <laughs> I've seen them. You know, and it'll be called like The Takeover or Jamaica <laughs> yeah. versus yeah, Ghana just, or something. Yeah. The kind of Black Black Circuit framing, you know, big yeah. night out kind of yeah. Framing yeah. of the stuff. So I was kind of aware of you from then. And I feel like at the moment where you are is your like you're something like 28, 29 years into your comedy career. That's right. And you're you're kind of engaged in this gear shift at the moment whereby you are becoming mainstream. Yes. Yeah. And so so the Palladium is like your well it is it's beautiful so you're really kind of humble about it. Yeah, oh, I'm so pleased to be where the queen hangs out but also <laughs> you're playing at the Palladium to your crowd, right? You yeah. you can gather enough people to fill a night at the Palladium. I don't yeah. even know how many thousands of people that is. That is true. It's about I don't know, Palladium's 2400, 2005 something like that. And two, and you can get the people in and perform to them whilst at the same time not having a mainstream profile. So yeah. where are you in that at the moment? Where are you in the breakout process and what kind of factors are, 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 are applying to it? Um, the breakout process for me now is the attention um, that has been gathered from, I would say, when Mo done his documentary, um, yeah. uh, Black, British and Funny, in 2020, mm-hmm. and I was heavily featured in it. Um, I then signed with, uh, UTC up the creek yeah. um, management agency, which they also look after mole. And uh, you know, before we signed, they asked what direction I wanted to go in. They already knew I had an established like uh, following. Um, they just wanted to know what direction, where do I want to go? You know, do I want to do panel shows, films? You know, what is it? Mm-hmm. And I sat down and and we came to an agreement, and they they pretty much has been on on point you know i've done um the tour i've done um live at the apollo uh yeah. russell howard show yeah and then obviously i finished uh off at the old two which was really a brilliant again experience of fourteen thousand people <laughs> come on now that's a lot of people to walk out in front of you know a lot of things can go wrong fourteen thousand yes. different things can go wrong yeah. <laughs> so so that feels like that's like it's working it, it, does it, it feel it, like it's working it like i mean is. this is a very different position to where you were 10 years ago let alone or five years ago yes. let alone 28 years ago definitely i mean the hard work's there it's not that i haven't never touched a mainstream before i haven't i haven't gone for it so yeah. I've always kind of dipped in, dipped out. I've done, you know, um, Edinburgh Festival I done in 2011. I went up there for the month, came back broke. Um, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very expensive month up in Edinburgh. I wish someone, yeah. I wish I'd met you and you had told me, Stu. Don't go, <laughs> don't go for the month. Go for a week, see how it is. I went for the full month. So yeah. I think I was down about five grand by the time I came back. But mm-hmm. it's an experience that I wanted to go for. Done that beautiful experience. V Festival, I've done twice. Um, uh, Glastonbury, 
Come on, you can't beat that. Little Brixton, boy. Glastonbury. <laughs> Come on, let's have it. Well this, is, well, this is my question, because, like, when I saw the tour, obviously the tour is called the King Tour. Yeah. And, you know, the branding is like, this is the, this is almost like, this is the, I mean, you are frequently referred to as the king of black British comedy. Oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. The, like, it's, it's interesting to me. I'm really interested in the tension between that and the kind of the highfalutin brand and you and your humility and the fact that you're like you know you opened the king tour by talking about the fact that you were a bus driver yeah do you know what I mean and like, yeah. that, that's a really interesting like here he is we're you know big build up big build up so here's what it was like being a bus driver and I'm like <laughs> I just thought it was a really like it was a really interesting place that you're in whereby you're sort of simultaneously I'm I'm kind of pushing it to be the, the brand is I'm the guy. You might not have heard of me, but that's your problem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or that's your failing yeah. not to have yeah. heard of me. Yeah. And yet at the same time, what you're, I guess, and may, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe what you need to do, what we all need to do to break into the mainstream is to be more vulnerable. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So that yeah. we're less of a club comic and more of a, not to, you know, not yeah. cast aspersions on club comics. I'm a club comic. Yeah. But, but you need to, you're not just up there smashing it. You need to kind of go, this is the real me yeah. to connect with that. Connect with them. And that, that is yeah. what I, I try and do that with most shows, even in the clubs. I do try to connect with the audience, um, with like the material I use, experience we all share as humans, don't matter what our mm. colour is, what country we come from, whatever. As humans, we still all share similar experiences. And I try and home in on that and, and that's what I go for. So me being or seeming down to earth, I don't know. I had an older mother. I think it was that. My mum had me quite old. She had me at age 44. So that was deemed like a geriatric pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so it's like going with your grandma. They're always happy for you if you can do something well, but they also tell you, don't be a show off. Do you see what I mean? If yeah. you was with your yeah, grandma, yeah. you could be really good at something. Oh, that's lovely, dear. But she'll see you be a bit, and she'll say, well, don't be a bit. Do you know what I mean? A bit okay. big-headed and that. So I always <laughs> had a level a level head that if you're good at something, you can also be be cool. I mean, I grew up with, this is actually, this is a scoop for you. I grew up in Brockley, um, southeast yeah. London. So I've grown up but southwest and southeast. But my, my um, growing up years, the young years, was mostly in Brockley. And the big boys in the area at the time, so when I'm talking, when I was like seven and eight, the bigger boys that were 13 and I think the other one was 17, that everyone knew is the boys that around the area, mm. just the older teenagers. Once, well, both of them ended up signing for Arsenal. One David Rollcastle, okay. the other Ian Wright. And okay. to, for, you know, when you're on your bike, you know they are because you always see them playing football. And then David got signed and the whole of Broccoli just, it was like, wow, you know, it, this is a humble kid. He was a very humble kid as well, David Rollcastle, God rest his soul. Um, but he was so talented and he didn't have to show off. He'd done what he'd done. And I think maybe stuff like that had influenced me by the time I actually came into show business and realised I, I was actually good at it. Um, that I didn't have to be a show off with it. I'm just glad that I make people laugh. <laughs> they appreciate my comedy, really. Do you think that there is a kind of, 
I know you've worked with like, uh, you know, Kevin Hart and Dave yeah. Chappelle and, you know, you've done like, you've done tour support or you've done, been like the, I think, were you the first black British comic to play Hollywood the Hollywood comedy, Improv? The Hollywood Comedy Store. Oh, the Hollywood Comedy Store, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, So, so those kind of, when you've been in the, in the, in the same circles as those kind of like big, big, big acts, do you think they share the same humility? I've often wondered whether, whether part of star quality is, is the, is the, the ability to kick down doors and tell everyone you're a fucking star. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I, do you know what I find in show? That's, that's actually a good question. I, I find in show business, very rarely is it the top, top ones. We all know there's one or two top stars out there, bit of arseholes. But on the whole, the top stars are actually the coolest is the, I call it the middle ones. The ones that haven't had a little bit of fame, like myself, had a little bit of fame. And it's gone to their head. The ego's just got out. Of so they actually walk around Johnny Big Bollocks and you look at it, you have, they haven't really done that much, but they have done something and they just, like one hit wonders. We've heard of them yeah, before. Okay. We've had music people that are one hit wonders. Um, yeah, and they could, at the time when their music was a hit or their track was a hit, they could have absolutely acted like arseholes around. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, proper yeah. prima donnas. So I, I, seriously, um, Eddie Griffin, I've worked with, um, as I said, Dave Chappelle. These are major stars, Kevin Hart. And they are just down to earth, humble guys. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. I've met them quite a few times. I've never, you know, sometimes from a distance, you watch them to see how they treat other people, how they uh -huh. talk to people, how they talk to their assistants and the people they're with, etc. They're just regular guys. So when, so do you feel like a regular guy? And when did you first start to feel like something different to a regular guy in showbiz? Um, uh, I, yeah, I do feel like a regular guy. That's the answer to your question, number <laughs> one. Yeah. I still live in a council house, man. And my bank manager still wants to see me every so often. So <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I'm grounded. Okay. Um, but I, I, I don't know that the humbleness, I know what he tried to get out of me, but I'm just not, a, I've never been a braggadocious person. And as a comic as well, I wasn't, uh, I've noticed there's different kind of comics. You'll notice this as well. You've got the comics, you know, they were loud, showing off and young. Hey, look at me, everybody. Then you've got the kind of comic that actually funny within a small group of people. Does that make yeah. sense? So yeah. you and your mates ain't playing football, but you've got a group over there. You're with them about six or seven years. You're quietly, not everybody knows what you're laughing about, but you're making that little group kill. I was more that kind of comic than, you know, the one that waves around and everybody has to look at him. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And what kind of, let's sort of just paint the picture of your, your 28 years in comedy. And congratulations, okay. I believe you've recently turned 50. I did. Um, I turned 52 weeks ago. I can't even believe it myself, man. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Do you know, I didn't mind it. I hated seeing the birthday cards because that was weird. Everybody would have, <laughs> seriously, with a fireball, you think, whose card is this? And then you've got to remember, oh shit, it's me. So, yeah, I turned, yeah. I turned 44 recently, and for a joke, my little brother sent me a card with 50 on it. And I'm like, and it really, it was like such a gut punch. It, I mean, it, I laughed, but I was like, oh God, oh God, God, man. <laughs> Not that long. <laughs> if you really want to feel, I'll tell you who makes you feel old as you're getting old, and you'll know this now, because you said you're 44, the NHS. When you turned 40, 
A letter came through your door saying, listen, you old bastard, we heard you turned 40, you might be dropping dead, come in for a free checkup. Did you get that letter? Yeah, 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 of course. I was absolutely seething for about five minutes. How dare they say I'm only 40? Why would they send this to me? I still went, though. And you, and you... You've had a very full life. You have really, uh, like, I'm alluding to the fact that you have six children, Slim. I do. Two is our stepkids. Because a lot of people think I've okay. just gone out bang. But I've grown them from young, so that I've just seen yeah, them yeah. as mine. So it's six kids. Um, yeah, that's a lot. I don't want any more now. That's my lot. I was, think- <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of getting my tubes tied. And uh, I was reading up on it in Google and... I mean, they had me, the procedure sounded all right until they say they have to, under local anaesthetic, numb your balls with an injection. In each one. In each one. No, <laughs> this is serious. Christ. You've got to be injected that. in each balls. And they said, oh, you feel a little pinch. I thought, no way. A little pinch is one of your like pubic ear getting caught in your, your boxes and it pulls. That, that's a pinch. Uh, yeah, I can't do that. I just thought, uh, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> that really put me off. So you're like, you are... You're like a naturally funny person, right? I'm creasing up at just like, kind of passing, you know, comments, little kind of bits and bobs. This isn't Thank like you. material. You're just like you're you're a funny person. When did you first realise you were a funny person? I suppose from young primary school, I think. I mean, at first, like your mum and that laughs at you, but mums are like that, isn't it? Mums support you in anything you do. <laughs> but you know, it's my aunties, you know, family, friends, my brother, even my brother. I mean, we're eighteen months apart. He's older than me. But, um, I mean, we could fight like cat and dog. That's, mm-hmm. you know, 18 months apart. But he, I know he always found me funny. So I could always humour him for him not to beat me up. Do you know what I mean? So I yeah, realised yeah. that then you leave the house and you're at school. You realise your friends chuckle. And that, it's nice because you make friends easier. I've always been a people's person. So I'd rather make a friend than an enemy. It doesn't matter, you know, where it is. And you've been taught to treat people how you'd like to be treated. I told you, I grew up with an old mum, old church West Indian as well. So I was, I was taught a lot of proverbs. <laughs> By the time I was nine, I knew all of that. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And and did you did you find yourself, as a lot of comics do, using your sense of humour to protect yourself from bullying or to give yourself an identity to, to like, do you know what I mean? Like in school, to kind of yeah. find your place in school. Was humour important to you in that way? Yes. I think to find my place in school, I used that. But I didn't, I never got bullied. I wasn't, a lot of comics say, oh, they used it to stop people bullying. I just didn't have that character you wanted to bully me. I could actually, <laughs> sounds weird, I could hang around with the bullies as long as they weren't bullying and yeah. or I could hang around with the, the, the class nerds. I didn't have, and that's a beautiful position as a comedian. You, you don't have to be the tough guy and you ain't seen. It's like you've got your own position at the school. Do you see what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yourself. Was, there, was, was there any rivalry? Was there, was there like another funny kid? 
Oh, there's always funny kids there. I mean, there's there was guys that were older than me. There was a guy called Smiler. That was his nickname. He was such a funny guy. He was so hilarious. It's just a cheeky chappy, and, but he was absolutely hilarious. And I used to think, yeah, I don't know why he never went on to comedy, but as you say, how That's, you are at school and then leave, the the, the, the world gets you. The streets this got is- him. This is oh okay okay. This, I mean, I was going to say this is a pet a pet theory of mine that yeah. the comic comics pro comics are often the second funniest kid in their class. Yeah, more than that. Because, I, I, because the funniest agree. kid doesn't have a hang up about it, and they go off and work at insurance. And the second funniest <laughs> kid is there going, oh, "I've got to be funnier than that guy." And that's where you kind of grow the, <laughs> no, the kind of dynamism. I will say, I never had any right. I actually like to be entertained myself. So even now. Um, Say it in a social setting, I can just sit down happily drinking and let somebody else take the show. So they might, they mm-hmm. just might be a builder in there. But I would enjoy them, you know, all the the banter and the chit chat and the yeah, I'll do that. I don't have to. Well, I'm the comedian around here, so no, I'm, I'm yeah. quite happy with that. And and tell me how you came to comedy then. How did you discover it? Were you listening to comedy albums and stuff as a kid and, and thinking it'd be you one day? Or what was your? how did you approach it? I, I've always loved comedy. Um, all sorts of comedy from all... Man- I mean, when I was just about 12, 11, I used to watch um, uh, Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd um, used to come on. These were more black and white silent stuff. And then you yeah, move yeah. on to your Laurel and Hardys. And, and then we've got the ones over here, you know, your Les Dawson's and, and your... your, your, your Les so Dawson much, doesn't get enough of a mention on this show. Oh, no one man. ever mentions My Les Dawson. My mum used to love him. I don't know what it is about women. They used to love that one with, with the breasts. You remember when you yeah, dressed yeah, up yeah, and yeah, you yeah, do? Yeah. Oh, all women love that one. Um, but I mean, we just grew up with... I grew up just watching all sorts of comedy. I found it amazing. Whether it was English comedy, American comedy, Only Fools and Horses. Do you know what I mean? Um, come on. Who didn't like a bit of Del Boy? Do you know what I mean? Um, and then, strange enough, Steptoe and Sons I used to watch a lot. And I remember watching a black version from America. And I thought, and later on I realised they, that they sell, you know, you're still young, they sell TV programmes to each other yes. and just yeah, make their, yeah, yeah. their own there version. Was, <laughs> there was version. a black remake of Steptoe Seriously, it was called Sanford and Sons. And it oh, featured, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was their... I've their, heard of that show and never realised there was a connection. I never saw the American one. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Red Fox, comedian Red Fox was the, played the dad in that. And it was, it was a similar thing, just like The Office. But um, as I said, I, I just grew up with a vast knowledge of comedians uh, and watching comedy. But myself, I... I didn't plan to become a comedian. Uh, I fell into it in the sense of um, I became friends with a comedian when I was about, I'd have been about 1920 when I met Curtis Walker. Now, Curtis Walker was an established comedian on the black circuit. He was a double act, Curtis Walker and Ishmael Thomas. And they went by Curtis and Ishmael. I remember Curtis and Ishmael, yeah, from the there, TV, yeah, yeah. There you go. And we became friends, and when I, you know, I used to travel up and down sometimes with them to gigs, you know, every so often, usually in the summer when the weather's warm, we go Liverpool or wherever they, they were gigging, and I'd go with them, and after a while, they themselves said to me, you know, you're quite you're quite a humorous guy, ain't you ever thought of doing comedy? And I thought, no, no, no. Never thought nothing of that conversation. A couple of months later, 
Um, Curtis had a show at the Hackney Empire and I'd popped down to go and, you know, support and watch him and went backstage during the break and he was there and, you know, he's having his little drink. He had done well in the first half. He says, go up and go and do a couple of minutes, man. Go on, you can do it. <laughs> and I think that that is drink talk. But for me, it was like, I don't know if I can do that. That's 1,200 people. This is the first time ever. I wasn't even allowed to do the Christmas play. They thought I had um, <laughs> ADHD. and I, I wouldn't okay. stay on the stage long enough to actually do my part. So I never got put in any kind of school productions or anything like that. So for me now, to step on stage um, in front of 1,200 people, but I will admit I had written, started to think, and I started to write like learn how to write jokes. So I think one of the jokes, I went up there, I did, I, I had a shot you of brandy. Did it. You yeah. did That was your first gig was to 1,200 people in Hackney Yeah, Empire. I had, you know what, I had a shot of brandy and I had a Bob Marley special filter at the back. And then I went, I went up. That was my Dutch courage. And uh, I think I'm done about three minutes. It wasn't a great amount of time. I got about two or three laughs because it's three minutes. Um, I went up there and was talking about meeting your girlfriend's parents for the first time. You've got a girl, you're going around her house, but she lives with her mum and dad. Now, you remember back in the day, you couldn't just go in the house and just trot her upstairs (laughs) in the room. It was none of that. You kind of had to go in, find the parents, good evening, you know, that that, that little manners thing. Yeah, sure. And sometimes you do have to sit down in that front room for a bit. You just remember back in the day, not had the TVs in their room. So you're in the front room, sooner or later, mum and the mum and the daughter will get up and head off to the kitchen for some reason, leaving you along with the dad. So I make this scenario, the dad's now questioning you on what he's like, okay. you know. And basically, the, the, it was things we say to impress them against what we really mean. Okay. So, do you know. That's like it, a really clear comic premise. Had you had you planned that? Like, had I'd, you been writing around I'd be it? I started to write it, but as I said, okay. I reached to the point of um, that coming into the house, saying that we come into the house. The mum and girlfriend sudden off, and the dad's asking you, "Well, what do you want, my daughter? Do you know what I mean?" And we, oh, you know, she's a great girl, great company. She helps me a lot with my schoolwork. You know, you're trying to sound <laughs> thin. Well, what you really want to say is, and then I'll say how fit the daughter is, how big her boobs is, look at the bottom, stuff like that. It's very childish and juvenile, but I was only 20, 21 at the time. You know, stuff like you smoke drugs. I say, me, never touch the stuff. But what we really want to say is, why? Do you have some? I've got reason. Do you know, as I said, it was silly, but for a 20, 21 year old uh, thing, I've got the two laughs and... I remember myself celebrating. Do you remember that time when you got your first big laugh? And yeah, you're yeah. there in yeah. your body, your body inside's like doing a little jig and dance in it. And I was so much celebrating. When the laughter died down, my mind went blank. L- literally, it went blank. So you imagine the laughter dies down now. They're waiting for you to say more. And all I'm doing, staring at them half high and half cut. Everything's kicked in now, yeah. <laughs> and something said, "Oh no, what do they say?" I start to panic. Something said, "Tell them the truth." So I said to them, "Look, you know, this is my first time. I was a bit nervous. So I had a, a drink and a bit of a spliff back there, and and they started to laugh. And I said, I've forgotten what I was supposed to say. A good night, <laughs> and they laughed, and that's it. I went off. What else could I do? You can't front an audience." 
by telling them shit. So I just said, I have literally had a drink, had a thing. I've been so high. I've, I said, I forgot what I've got to say to you. <laughs> I can honestly say I've never had a I've never heard a first gig story like that. You've got you to. must have been you must have been bouncing off the walls when you came on stage. Yeah. From from zero to yeah. hero to 1200 people for your first ever gig. That's insane. Yeah, I know. Looking back on it, I don't think I'd do that again. If if, <laughs> if I went back I'd ask for a smaller club. But, you know, um if something's your calling, or I do think this is my calling now, because I've been in it so long. There's no other job I've been in for 28 years. I mean, mm-hmm. I've just about managed 15 with the buses. Yeah, I've done 15 yeah, right. with the buses, but for me to be 28, 28 years are long. Look, Nelson Mandela done 27. I'm one year more than that. <laughs> So this is Slim, Danny, to give him his real name. But look, if you know someone called Slim, you want to call him Slim, right? So we're going to hear more from him in just a sec. Uh, 20 minutes of extra content on the Insiders Club. Uh, Include Slim on... Uh, he's got a lovely analogy about comics as salespeople and what percentage of people laughing represents a good sale. Um, and he will talk about whether or not there's a downside to doing your learning on a different circuit, as well as the decisions that went into his Live at the Apollo set. So all of the extra content from every show that has it, which is getting on for hundreds of hours now uh, all available to you if you join the insiders club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders um this doesn't count as an official announcement but after a lovely work in progress show at the uh, the light box uh, in the leicester comedy festival thank you there to alex and kev as well hi kev um uh, for having me and thank you for moving the show as i had to because the very last day of my covid isolation was not negative as i'd hoped and so i had to postpone uh, well, cancel one and postpone one show at Leicester. But now I'm kind of back on the making new stuff uh, horse and I've got a bundle of work in progress shows coming up. I'm just going to, I'm not going to officially announce them yet or tell you where to get tickets. Um, and a lot of them are with either Nabil or uh, or Sarah Keyworth and there's just loads and loads of fun things to come to. So if you are in uh, Leamington Spa, Mac, uh, Bristol, Portsmouth, if you're in Wells, if you're in Bournemouth, uh, Salisbury, Bath, Fordingbridge, me neither, Cardiff, uh, Bristol again. Basically, if you live within two hours of my house, then you can come and see me over the next couple of months working out some new stuff. If you're going to be at the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival, then please. Oh, gosh, I've just spilled the beans. I mean, it's, it's no longer secret, right? If you're going to be at the uh, Redacted Welsh Comedy Festival, then uh, come and see me there. I'm on the Friday night and then I am, I think I'm doing Beat This on the Sunday for lovely Rob Deering. So there we go. Loads and loads of brilliant stuff going on there. Look out for Christopher Bliss, Rob Orton, Sophie Duker. Um, God, who else have I got tickets for? Loads of people. Um, I can't wait. Can't wait. So get yourself to Mac if you're not already there. Now is the time you want to be jumping on and buying tickets. Um, so... Uh, and you should have sorted your accommodation out four years ago. Uh, what can I say? So listen, that's not an official announcement. This is me just teasing the fact that I'm doing... I mean, you can call it a tour if you want. It's a load of work in progressy dates, working my way up to, hopefully, very hopefully, a, uh, a short run at Edinburgh. And I'm feeling very excited. So thank you to everyone that came along to the Lightbox in Leicester. Um, that was like a really fun 90 minutes. Uh, and uh, you know that feeling where you're like, uh, oh. There's the bones of a show in there. Very exciting. So uh, more on that perhaps in a post amble. But let's get back to uh, the brilliant Slim, who you can follow on Instagram or Twitter at Slim Comedian. Uh, let's get back to Slim. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I was wondering about the phases of your comedy. Like what kind of... Like that's such a long time to be a performer to go from that very, very raw kind of state to now when you're kind of you're in sort of elder statesman territory. I think as soon if you're a if you're a pro comic and you turn fifty, you start yeah. people must start you're in the phase of your career where people are like, Slim, tell us what it was like in the early days. But but so so I suppose it's a it's a dual question. It's about both how you behaved on stage those kind of phases what what slim the comedian was like 20 years ago 10 years ago five years ago and also what you what your connection to comedy was during those times and i, I have to say i i uh, i looked up your videos on youtube and i filtered by date and i went back to find the furthest back thing i could find of yours on youtube right. which was you at something i think it was called the jump off in 2008 oh, yeah With 2008 that sounds yeah. like just yesterday but it's a long time ago yeah, i know when you say it, it was... like that yeah, it is. yeah. I remember that. You get five minutes or something. No, you get yes. It looked five. it looked like there was some format with a timer or something, and you came on and you had a kind of a you know a, a slowish start. How are you yeah. doing? Bit of a cheer kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah. And within three minutes, you're tearing the roof off. Yeah, you've got to grab it. Strange enough, um, the audiences for the mainstream and 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 the black comedy circuit. Um, it depends because you can get a rowdy. Um, audience you know on the mainstream circuit but with i don't know black audience you got there, there's no there's no forgiveness if you say you can do something and go in front of a black audience and you're shit at it they'll let you know so that immediately you've got to try and aspire to a, a certain level very quickly does yeah, that make okay. sense plus i was coming yeah. off the back of um these guys we were the generation after um, the real McCoy, Blouse and Scuts, yeah. where you say you knew Curtis and Ishmael from. Mm-hmm. So 
we were the fresh young comics coming off the back of this big black comedy show that was on BBC that a lot of people watch. So they kind of set a standard already that we were coming into. So myself, Jeannie Yashere, Richard Blackwood, and Toju, um, which you might know as the militant black guy from Walls of Steel. Yes, I know, I know who told you. Right, yeah, told yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I didn't realise he was part of that year, actually. Yeah, that we that all okay. like the class of, I think it's 92, yeah. 93. But okay. we, all, we were the, one, the young ones that all came out, started at that time. And as far as I'm, far as I'm aware, all of us are still in, in good employment, where that's concerned. Yes. Yes. So that kind of, and just to reflect on that, the, the similarities and the differences in the audiences as well, because if you are at the moment, you're kind of... Um, uh, kind of transmogrifying into the mainstream. Not to say you haven't done mainstream rooms yeah. in the past, yeah. but it's a very different. I mean, the yeah, the other clip I looked at was from 2011, and it's you. It's a basement club. You're wearing a black leather beret, and I was like, "This is this is." I wonder if this is a phase. <laughs> I wonder if that was like the black leather beret yeah, years man. and a waistcoat. <laughs> and it, it looked somewhere. I don't know what the room is. It looked like the hideaway in Streatham, but before the change. Uh, do you mean before the refresh? It was higher it's, learning. It was higher oh, learning. Oh, higher learning is that? Catford. That's the venue. Okay, right, right, right. Under is a uh, Turkish restaurant that have okay a downstairs room. Beautiful okay, place. Okay, sure. Yeah. Lovely, lovely downstairs room, lovely brick, you know, low ceiling, yeah. all the rest of it. And again, you're absolutely destroying. And it has that, it has that thing of um, being a, uh, I don't know if it's okay, a black circuit gig officially. Yeah. It's a majority black yeah. audience, vast yeah, yeah. majority. And it's loud and they're howling and they're yeah. standing up and yeah. agreeing with you yeah. and that, that kind of, that energy in the room, very different to a mainstream <laughs> <Yeah>. gig. <laughs> when they just sit down and they'll laugh from their seats, but yeah, you don't get as they much. They laugh and then they stop. Yes. You know, and they're no. like, next joke, please. Yes. Yeah. No, no. There, there is a, it's almost like a party atmosphere. Yeah. So you've got a kind of, you've got to be loud enough and funny enough that with a, you know, it's, it's the same in the mainstream. If you've got, you look out and there's a rowdy audience, usually it's stags or do you know when you've got a sure. few groups and you know when you come out you've got to just grab them as soon as you can mm-hmm. yeah grab their attention and hit them with some jolts so it's, it's just it's that but tenfold tenfold yeah, <laughs> yeah because the oh, rowdy is people at that gig they're not yeah. stag dudes they're just no. a nice couple yeah but they're just rowdy as hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean i enjoy the experience because one thing that you know the the audience I I uh, perform to share in common uh, is funny's funny. If something funny's funny, they'll love it. But you've got yeah. to be funny. Funny's funny. Um, with a mainstream audience, I might have to be a bit more well spoken. That don't mean I have to be posh. You know what I mean? But I be uh-huh. a bit because you know with a black audience, I can be a bit more. Well, black. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Without saying, I mean, if you're a Chinaman that's a comedian in front of a Chinese audience, you can be as, you know, the way you speak, Mandarin, you don't have to kind of curtail because everybody won't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So every so often I do a little West Indian accent, but I could go on a black circuit and do the whole set in a West Indian accent. Yes, okay. Okay. That's it. That's interesting because. I wonder what that I wonder what the relationship is between that is it is it like that you are being more yourself 
And if if the name of the game in comedy is to be yourself, does that yeah. hamper you to not fit? I mean, do you feel like you can be that self, or do you feel like you have to rein that in no. when performing? Like when you do your Apollo set, yeah. you're not kind of leaning as hard into that part of your persona, or is yeah. it like having two different personas or a different tuned version of your persona? No, I don't. I think you fine tune yourself to you adapt to your surroundings. In anything in life, you know, um, if I took you to the House of Parliament, maybe you, it doesn't matter who you, all right, take a cockney to the House of Parliament. He ain't going to be as cockney as he should be. Do you get what I mean? But he's still being himself, but you've got to adjust yourself yeah. to your environment. So I do think yeah. I tweak, but I'm the same. It'll be the same jokes you're getting. So not all yeah. I do a separate, I know some comics do that. They've got, like jokes that they've got for the the black or the urban comedy circuit, and then their jokes for the the mainstream. But I don't yeah. do that. I'll I'll and I'll do it in the same accents or whatever. But as is I that, say, is that know, because of is that because of your principles or because of lazy writing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I always thought well. That means that it's. It, you're treating people differently. That makes, I don't know, because humor's humor. That's why I say I do when I write, trying to, try to connect with people on, um, our, our experiences just as humans. Yeah. So yeah. as I said, I'll talk about bus driving. That hasn't got nothing to do with color. I'm telling you as a black bus driver, maybe, or a bus driver, ex-bus driver, sure, but sure. everybody shared that experience. Kids, everybody shared that experience. So there's not a lot for me to have to change about that. Unless yeah. you've never experienced something I'm saying, then I'd have to explain in a way. But apart from that, that's why I don't think that I, I tweet too much or I'm not being myself. I think I just, as I said, you're more adjust. I mean, I like to curse, but if I'm in front of a vicar, you won't hear one word out of me, swear word sure, out of me. Sure, sure, sure. It, it, it's a just, it's not you're not being yourself. Like, all right, me old China. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, 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 you, yeah. You yeah, ain't yeah. going to do yeah. that in front of the vicar. Is there an element, because I know the, the host of that show was Larry Dean, yes. who's a brilliant comic, yeah. friend of mine, lovely, lovely, yeah. lovely guy, fantastic comic. And... What, like 20 years younger than you are? Yeah. <laughs> Most you of mean? these comics are my kid's age now. Seriously, this is it. yeah. This is it. And, and he's from Larry, and not to sort of particularly choose Larry, but there are, there are a whole kind of strata of um, mainstream comics, even, I mean, they are mainstream. I still think of someone like Larry as kind of alternative, but it's, it's the mainstream now, isn't it? It's mainstream. They're just waves and waves of, of, of mainstream comics. With like every year, there's like, and now a new batch of young people, yeah. and a new batch of impossibly yeah. young people, over yeah. and over again. Yeah. Is there um, is there is it ever tough? Do you ever need to kind of swallow your pride because you're like you're looking at comics and thinking, I've been doing this 28 years and I've played bigger rooms than this. Yeah. Of my fans, <laughs> but part of the process is is checking the ego and going. Now it's it's day one. It's kind of permanently day one. Yeah. I mean, me going from the I mean, going from the the urban or black comedy circuit to the mainstream is a bit. It's, it's similar to when you leave primary school and go to secondary school. Everybody knew you in primary school. Everybody knows who you are, but you leave, and one or two people from primary school you might meet at secondary school. But it's a whole new new world. 
although it's the same schooling and you're going to get education, it's just a it's a different way world, the way it runs, functions, etc. So that that's how I see it. I just see it as a jump. No matter how long I've been there, I've gone from primary school. I'm now in secondary school. How about that? Fifty years old, just starting secondary school in comedy. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. So, I love it so much because it is. I think I've seen. I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen comics who get a get the you know the merry go round. It's it's yeah. their time, yeah. and and they feel entitled to it, yeah. and they don't treat it like this is an opportunity. They no. think, oh, fa- at last, yes. finally, yeah, you know. Yeah. And you just you don't seem like that at all. No, Do you know what I mean, it's like no, I'm it's grateful all, you- for my position, man. I mean, look, my job is I go up and talk to people twenty minutes most of the times, and they pay you. No, it's not even just about the pay, but the pay does help. No one can't admit, you know, a couple hundreds in your pocket for 20 minutes tall. There's not a lot of, and you know, I didn't go college. I ain't university educated. It's secondary school education, man. I, 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 I'm enjoying the ride. What, what have I got to be upset about? <laughs> Seriously. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm not saying that there ain't been times you think, oh, patience. You've got to learn patience. But I've never felt to give this up, ever. Because it's something I've always loved to do, even before I was doing it professionally. I've always liked to, I like to see people smile. Me and you, if, it, if I met you when I was six, seven, eight, come on, let's go and adventure. You'd have a good old laugh. See you later. Are you out tomorrow? That's me. I'm going to press, it's a lovely answer. I'm just going to press you on one element of that oh. where you kind of glossed over. You said, you said, obviously there have been times, you know, and then we moved on. Let's, yeah, let's talk times. about some of those times because if I like your, your humility and your passion and your enthusiasm for it is so, so positive. And there'll be people listening to this. There'll be newer or aspiring comics yeah. listening to this thinking, Oh God, I wish I could feel like that about it. So <laughs> let's talk about how you like talk about those times when it has been tough. Have there been like moments of kind of envy or, you know, Gina, you mentioned Gina Yashray earlier on, like, you know, just taking over the States. There's got to be times when you've been going long enough that you think, when's my, when am I Yeah, you do think that, but I've never been envious of other people getting that success because everybody's role to how they get to success is different. So I can't be jealous of your role and I'm not even on that road. Do you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. I could become famous. You could become famous. When we sit down to tell our stories, it will be different in how we climb the kind of gigs. Obviously, we have to go on stage and make people laugh. That's a given. But the what kind of gigs, where we had to go, how we... Our journey is different. So I tend not to look at anybody. Oh, if anything, it gives me... It encourages me. Because you think, oh, she's gone and done it. Wicked. That means we can do this. It kind of gives me a, 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 a uplift in my spirit that somebody can get through and do something that I loved it. Gina went and done Last Comic Standard. She went out there just after I went um, and she stayed for... Oh, did you did you do Last Comic? I didn't do Last Comic. It wasn't, okay, okay. It wasn't running. No, that... Yeah. It wasn't actually running at that time. I'd had to come back January when they do this uh, okay. recruiting scene. But when I went, I went September or something like that. October, if I remember correctly. Um, but she went out there after. She moved over there. And she done the last comic standing. And she's, she hasn't had to come back. So I've got to salute her. I mean, I've gone out there and stayed at her pad while she's been up and down touring America with, I think she was touring with Cat Williams at the time. Yeah. So I said, oh, yeah. I'm coming to LA. She goes, don't book a hotel. 
I'm like, bro, no, my place is going to be empty. I said, well, she says, take it for the week. I'll, I'll be gone for the week. So I went there. It's got swimming pool at the back. It's about like 10 minutes maximum walk down to the Hollywood shopping centre. I can't remember what the big uh, shopping centre they got down there is called again. But I mean, I'm always pleased for people. Mo himself, you know, Mo's been cracking away for at least 15, 16 years. A lot of people's known him within the last four or five years. Yeah. But this is what happens. But when you see that, it gives you, it gives you hope. You know, as well, I've, I've, although I'm 50, I've also brought up a family. I've looked after my old man. I've been a carer. So it's not like I've just been sitting down waiting on a big moment. I've yeah, actually been yeah, getting yeah. on with my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. Because I remember thinking when you talked about having all these kids and you talked about your dad in, in the show, hmm. I remember I almost wondered if like that, some element of that really made sense for me because I suppose I went to your show thinking, oh, this is the uh, the king of black British comedy. Mm. I've yeah. never seen him. Yeah. I've never seen him. Like yeah. I've heard yeah. loads yeah. of people yeah. refer to him. People have mentioned you on this podcast, you know, yeah. and uh, and I'm like, oh, I've never, I've never encountered him. And yeah. one of the questions that I, I enjoy asking my guests, and I would only ask this of people I consider very successful, is you're successful. Why aren't you more successful? Because I think everyone, no matter what degree of success anyone has, everyone has an internal kind of, a, well, I could have been X, Y, Z, you know? I think it would be down to, I think just as well as brought up, I just, I weren't going to, look, you've got a young family. I'll, I'll give you an instance. Um, in 2006, I went back to America again um, with a comedian that I'd been supporting in England called mm -hmm. Bill Bellamy. He's a, Big comedian in um in in America, and um he said, "Man, you want to come back?" and and I thought they were joking, and my management and their management sorted out about five six days later after the tour. I was on a plane to LA. Um, I'd done well over there. Um, I'd done several um, comedy clubs, one of which I felt really proud of because it was an open spot, and there were several people on this open spot. They had a Early show and a late show. So we was on the mm -hmm. early show. Whoever won the open spot, who were the best out of that open spot, would then go on to do the late show. And I was the only British act there. And I won. Do you know what I mean? I went on to do the late show. So when I came back, I was, you know, on cloud nine, I was buzzing. And I remember my boy that is 21 now. He's eight years old at the time. So I'm telling you quite a few years ago. So I could have gone then. And I remember coming back and... Um, I'd gone to get in, you know, uh, without shopping and this and that. I was on the tube and I was talking to him, having a little conversation. And I was saying to him, look, dad's got a chance to go to America and this and that. And he started to cry. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He started to cry. And he said, you're going to leave me. And he just tore up my heartstrings. I thought, I can't leave him. He's the youngest one. I can't leave him to go to America to follow my dream. Because that would be my dream. He's here now. People say, but if you went, you'd be able to, um, you know, make money in the go. But you miss out on the, those growing years. Because I might have been gone for maybe three years or maybe four years before I'm making that kind of money to move a family over to America. And I just thought, um, I just thought I can't leave my kids. That's the truth. So I decided that I've got to wait until the, the youngest one. The other ones were quite big. They're like, like 16, 17. They kind of had their own kind of social life and etc. But he was the youngest one. And I just thought, I can't leave this boy. It will heartbreak him. 
And, you know, he's a young black boy living in London. I didn't want to be a dad that was absent because I'm chasing money and I'm not dear if he needs me, fall into the wrong crowd or, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, made me decide, you know, and I was earning money here anyway. So it weren't like I didn't have a career here, but I thought I'll put that Hollywood dream on ice and, and, you know, wait until the boy grew up. Then he grew up. When I could leave again, my dad got old. So I ended up looking after him for years again. So I've kind of, I've put family first. And I, I'll do it again because in interviews over the years, you hear famous people, rich people being interviewed and they're asked, you know, you're rich, you're successful, you're blah, blah. Is there any regrets you have with anything? And more, nine out of 10 times, they will say, I didn't spend enough time with the family. You've heard that before, ain't it? I didn't spend enough time with my kids. So the kids are rich. They've got everything, but they don't know the dad. The dad's a stranger to them. Because he was never in the house or he lived in another country and all that. So I just wanted to do the right thing as a, a, a parent. And a black parent as well, I will say that. Um, and make sure my kids were grown before I decided to run around the world. Making other people happy and they're not happy. It's just as simple as that, mate. Thank you. What a great answer. What a great answer. Thank and you. completely in keeping with, you know, this, uh, the you that I've met <laughs> today. Thank you. Yeah, you know, that, I mean, that that's the truth. You know, so I've been here and maybe now I'm getting, you know, calm or good luck or whatever it is saying, look, you've done the right things with your family here. Have, you, have a bit of that success. You're a bit greyer. You're a bit older, but hey, there you go. Have a bit of that. Do you, do you ever, do you feel with people like Mo? Um, and kind of a new generation of black British comics, like part of like every every generation is kind of standing on the shoulders of the the generation before. Yeah. Do you feel kind of part of? I mean, you know, obviously you're in Mo's documentary for that yeah. reason. Yeah. Do you feel that there are more opportunities now for black British acts than there were when you were? say 10 years in 15 years in oh yeah and do you do you feel part i mean this what i feel like from the outside is you were one of the people who was making it helping make it possible for the next generation who then maybe loads of people are doing it now do they necessarily know that that you were there at the cold face <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> the cold war no um yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know um it's evolution of the comedy circuit um we're living in Britain and yeah, things, you know, things like it was yesteryear is not how it is today in all aspects of life. So I knew, you can never tell when it will happen, but I knew it would evolve in a sense of, you know, the mainstream would get to slowly see, you know, more black comics or people of colour that could actually entertain them and not just lose them and say, well, I'm not from that culture. I don't, don't understand this and that. As I said, we're melting pot, ain't we? Of different cultures and that. We do understand each other. Um, so I do think it's nice when we can come and have a laugh. It's beautiful I can make a whole room full of, of non-black people laugh. Whether it be white people, Asians, you know, it don't matter. It, 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 to be able to do that um, is one of my greatest achievements, I think. Because it's all right to make your own laugh. Do you know what I mean? Because you understand everything about your own. So if you're from the pub culture, you go in a pub, you can tell all the jokes, everybody knows everything. But if you're taken out of that environment and put somewhere else, like where toughs are, where it ain't a pub environment, and you've got to, for you to be able to connect with them, 
you, you've got to have a skill. So I, I just thank God that I've got, I've been blessed with the skill and the career I've got and the life I've got. And hey, I've turned 50. That's not bad. <laughs> What's your favourite opening line of another comic? Favorite opening line, or your favorite? I mean, I, you could say, "What's your favorite bit of another comic?" Like, I, I, I love an opening line. I'm obsessed with people's opening lines because I think people—they're often people's second best joke. Do you know right, what I mean? Or, yeah. or sometimes people's best joke, and they just encapsulate the whole thing. So, I'm, if you've got one that stands out, great. I, I haven't got an opening line, but I've got a, a Will Sylvance is a Haitian comic in America. Um, and I do believe there's a lot of comics like myself all around the world that you think they are so funny, but they just haven't been given that. And he's got a great set about um, dropping a, a female off after a date late at night. And they say, well, why do we always wait in the car for her to go in the house? Like if she gets attacked, we're coming out of the safety of our car. Now he's got this, this like, piece of plastic, square plastic thing and he uses it like a car window and he does this scene where the girl's getting attacked <laughs> no it's, it's so funny you've got, you've got to watch it I don't want to do someone else's show but it's actually hilarious and he drives off when the guy's coming up to him then he just spins the car and says let me see if she's alright and he, he winds down the window and says are you alright <laughs> you dropped your key there oh shit he's come back and he drives <laughs> off again and I just just to, to, to picture that because you know all men you know we've been taught you know you drop a lady off whether it be a family member or a friend you know late at night you do wait to make sure you see them get into yeah. the house so for that that bit of cowardice the joke oh man up to now that I, I'll be on the floor for that when I see it it's really funny Wilson Vince man watch it if you can if you had one quality besides your comic ability that got you where you are today, what would it be? Like, like you're obviously, you're where you are because yeah. you're funny. But yeah. other than funniness, what's the other thing that you've mostly benefited I think, from? I think being able to, to connect with people, being a people's person, I think that, that helps a lot because you've got some funny comics out there. You think about it. There's some funny comics out there that are not likeable. Do you mean? In real life, I've seen comics. Uh, I don't want to mention there's a guy in America. He is so hilarious. But all his podcasts, he's in some kind of argument with other comics. Or, so as a person, he, he's, he, he's, his personality is shit. But to watch him on stage and listen to his material, he is fire. So that really, it, it really confuses me that, do you know what I mean? So I do think for me, um, being a people's person, being able to connect, I think that is the ability. Um, whether I'm telling jokes or not, I can sit down in the pub and we'll still get on without me making one joke. So that's still connecting to you. So I think that's, that's what it is. To answer that question, I think connecting with people. I will say though, you, I watched two of your, listened to two of your podcasts. Oh, yeah. And uh, the first one guy depressed me. And the lady after, that comes on automatically after, what's this lady's name? Not Ellis Johns, it's the lady before. Um, but what's the guy's name? He's been in comedy, he said, for 30 odd years. But he hates everybody, man. I felt depressed. <laughs> I was going to call a counsellor, man. This man, I hate this, I hate that, and I hate comics, and I hate these what's kind this, of This is people. a guest of mine, a guest that was yeah, on my Yeah, what's my his podcast. name? He's recent, a, a recent guest? I think it's about a year ago. I'll tell you the comic's name. If you bear with me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, tell yeah. You. Jeremy Hardy. 
Oh, bless him. He died. Did he? He died. I put it, yeah, that, that episode was me remembering Jeremy Hardy from when Is he was on the show a few years ago. He hated everyone. I was, I was depressed. <laughs> I, I was like, he, he's like, Jesus, there's a lot of hate here. I'm like, oh, it's... I listened to it, but I thought, Jesus, yeah. by about the half hour in, I said, he don't like nobody. Yeah. <laughs> he don't like himself. He don't like me. He don't oh, like people. bless him. Yeah. But at least what you see is what you get. And yeah. as I said, yeah, yeah, as yeah. a salesman, you either buy into it or you yeah. don't. And I'm sure he had lots and lots of thousands of fans, man. So God rest his soul. <laughs> but yeah, man, he did. I thought I needed counseling after. <laughs> um. How do you cope with failure? Now, obviously, speaking as someone who's had three bad gigs in 28 years, <laughs> we might think other <laughs> the types of failure. It takes all... Uh, by the time you get up in the morning, it's all right. Unless you really, really, really died and everybody turned on you. If you don't have that good gig, I think my recovery is the next day. You come on for a gig late, you get on between 10 and 1 o'clock, depending on how far you are. By the time I go sleep and wake up, I'll be all right after that. That, and is that, is that just yeah. natural? Is it, are you, have you got a faith? What is it? What's your secret, Slim? Are you religious? Why, how come you're so happy? Do you know what? I've only recently been as happy as I am now, outwardly. I've always been a happy person, but over between the year 2008 and 2012... No, sorry. 2008 and 2016... So eight year period. So I lost my my sister in two thousand eight to breast cancer. My bigger sister. She died of breast cancer in two thousand eight. Uh, two thousand and ten. My favourite cousin was found dead in his bed. Uh, oh. He had that that deep vein thrombosis thing. Went up, yes. stopped him breathing. Yes. That's two oh, years man. after. Then two years after that, my mum went. Do you know what I mean? Me old dear. She was eighty four. She had good innings, but I think. Yeah. My my sister dying speeded that up. Do you know what I mean? So during all this, remember, I'm trying to grow myself, raise a family and make people laugh. So a lot of the times I had to swallow a lot of, you do swallow a lot of pain. You can't really grieve as much as you want to. Plus, I do believe me doing the job I had done was therapy to me. It's really weird. To hear people laugh cheered me up. Does that sound weird? Not at, all. Not at all. It sounds like it sounds like it's a gift you wish you could give anyone who is grieving. Go on stage and just get love bombed by loads of people and that's what embody it is. yourself and your is. spirit and stuff. Yeah, and the energy is high. It's not that I, I go on with different energy. I always try to go on. If you've watched mm. the, the videos, you know it's like I go on and but on that day you've got you feel an extra rump on them days, you know. And I done that, and then by yeah, twenty twelve, then yeah, twenty sixteen, four years after that, my old man passed. So I, I've had a bit of a rest over the last five, six years now. So I've, it took me quite a while to get over. Not the older generation that died, my mum and dad, because they both had good innings. Dad had ninety three mm. years, mum eighty four years. That did good innings. Um, it's more my sister who at the time she was forty six, and my cousin who. Uh, it's forty. It's about forty-two at the time. So yeah, that yeah. those two took me about privately about ten years really to get over. But you still have to. Um, the show continues. You still have to, and you can't go up on stage with you know unless you can make something really funny of it. But you can't go up on stage. People expect you to make them laugh. So people 
Although they have empathy for you, they don't expect a comic. When you see a comic, you think, oh, he's going to make a joke. You don't expect him to really go on about deaths. And so a lot of the times comics, it's really weird. I think that's why some comics have suffered like mental health issues and that. Because a lot of the times you might be suffering something in your private life, but your job is to go and make people laugh. You know, you're having a bad day or a week, you work in an office, you can just keep yourself to yourself and just get on with your work. And then, yeah. We need a response from people who's paid to see us. So a lot of the times, I do believe comics do swallow a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And some of it can, you know, they'll be able to um, to to turn it into something positive uh, on stage. It might not be that subject matter, but they get positive energy from interacting with the crowd. So yeah. I, I do believe I big up the crowd because, yeah, they kept me sane, you know. Um, as we saw Robin Williams, uh, God rest his soul. Yeah. You know, he had these problems and, and he used to make everybody laugh. He left the party, if I'm correct, and went home and um, yeah. uh, took his life, isn't it? And everybody at the party, you know, he would have been the life and soul. And no yeah. one's... Do you see what I mean? So it, I think for comics as well, it's a lot of self... A lot of self-care that is needed as well as looking after the audience. So as I said, I'm happy now. I've got over everything that I'm supposed to. Um, and and life's looking good now. Do you know? I've come out the other end and then... Hey... I've got new teeth as well, so I'm smiling every every chance I get. <laughs> they're incredible. Okay, they're, okay. They're incredible teeth, mate. <laughs> I've got them. I've got them in the first lockdown, uh, October, <laughs> and as soon as we came back, they said you had to start wearing masks on. on oh no! On, <laughs> oh man! I was, I was sitting down doing this to people, man, and putting the mask back on, giving them a little peek, and then put it back on. Yes, it can't. <laughs> Pay too much money to keep them under wraps, man. Who is the newer comic who once asked you for advice who went on to be the biggest? You must have seen a lot of newer comics come through and they're saying, Oh, what should I do? What should I do about this? And then you blink and they're massive. A lot of them, they, mm, strange enough, the young, younger comics, they don't really ask a lot of questions like that. I mean, I will give advice. I'll see a comic if he's nervous or if he's new and he's going to go up. Might offer him some word for say, listen, relax yourself, go out, enjoy it. You know, because what we tend to do to get the first laugh, we go out, we're starting to rush talking to get yeah. to that first job, to get the first laugh. Enjoy yourself, slow your roll, enjoy it. And everyone come back, oh, thanks. But me, them arcs in me, you don't really get, no, they don't really get a, a lot of comics asking okay. you that much questions. I don't know if they don't want to learn or they just think they got it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, maybe. That's important. That That's kind of sense, that kind of the mad arrogance of, yeah, I know what I'm doing. We yeah. probably need a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. The truth is none of us don't. We could, we're all winging it. Do you know what I mean? Nothing's written in stone for any self-employed comic. Literally, we wing it until we make it. Well, fake it till you make it, one out of two. Are you considered a success amongst the friends you grew up with? Yeah, everybody does. But, I, you know, 28 years, I consider myself a success, whether or not other people do. Just simply the fact that I've able to... The longevity of um, my business. Um, I always say to people... Yourself, you remember, you're 44, so when you was going to school, from your little nipper, you got the local corner shop 
Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And now, I don't know if your one is still there. I don't know if they're run by the same people or that, but sometimes you've got the same guy from your nipper dip. Now, you have to remember, people might not say he's as big as this big brand supermarkets, but yeah. he's been there 30-odd years or 40 years. He's outlasted other little supermarkets like QuickSave. QuickSave ain't around no more. Mr. Patel still got his shop. Maybe I've got several more. So who's successful more, Quick Save or Mr. Patel in his 40 years? Do you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. His shop's only a little corner shop, so he's not a big supermarket. But as I said, he's been there. He's served the community. All the community know him. Everybody might not know who he is, but the community does. And he's earned a living and brought his family up off that little shop. So that's, that, that, that's me. And now I'm going to buy a supermarket. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. How will you know when you've done enough? They'll put me in a coffin, most probably. <laughs> um, look, it's something I love doing it. And the wickedest thing about doing comedy, um, uh, entertainment especially, is there's no retirement age. You're not like sports stars. Even if they're ready, they've got to retire at some age. You ain't got a 60-year-old striker being signed by Man City. Do you see what I mean? You've got, so you only got a certain, that's why they pay so much. You're from 18 to, when most of them retire by what? 38. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Let's say. Mm -hmm. 37, 38. So you only got that bracket. Um, I remember Whoopi Goldberg about eight, nine years ago had a show at Brixton Academy. Yeah. Sold out. At the time, she was a 70-year-old woman. Well, coming up to her 70s. And you think about it, any comic or, or, or musician especially, the Rolling Stones, look, half of them are dead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In the same, the, yeah. the way they, it's like they're so old, but they can still fall, you know, if they go on tour. So the age thing doesn't really bother me. I'll be around. As long as I keep getting new fans, that's longevity. Madonna, I always use her example. Madonna only lasts maybe eight, eight years to ten years. I haven't really put out any real, real proper, proper music. But that means I was 40. I can remember Madonna tunes from when I was at primary school. That's, yeah, that is, right. come on. That, you, for you to last, and, and the thing is, they've got different generations. So you've got the the generation that started off with the artist, so whoever's Madonna's age, and she started off, they were a young girl. Then as she was getting older, she introduces her daughter. Same like Rolling yeah. Stones. And then she introduces her daughter. So you've got the grandma, mum, and daughter all at a Rolling Stones concert. They're collecting three generations of different money. <laughs> you, you cannot beat longevity like that, man. When you've got to break down, this is business, yeah? If you keep getting new fans, you'll stay in business. That's how I see it. So I'm looking forward to all the the, the kids that are at school now in 10 years. You know, they'll see me as an old granddad. Everybody, that's another thing. Depending what age you are, when I started, I was seen as everybody's younger brother because everybody's yeah, like in their yeah, 30s yeah. to me. And then you, you'll then get to an age, you'll seem like everybody's bigger brother. Then you get to an age where you're everybody's dad. Now I'm everybody's, you know, I'll get into that. I'm everybody's granddad's age soon. So no matter what, the generation you get will see you, see you how they picture you for your age. Um, You remember the film Friday? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
Do you remember the old guy, the, the Ice Cube's dad, the dog catcher? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, his name's John Witherspoon. Okay. He's the first one that actually encouraged me. I, I, I toured with him over in England. He encouraged me to come to America first. Well, anyway, um, what's the point I was making now? I'm going to say John Witherspoon. He, he started comedy for years before. You go, go and look at the, the comedy roast of Richard Pryor on YouTube. The comedy oh roast of Richard. Okay. And, and you will see him. Big old Afro. And that, but most of the kids yourself only know him as an old man. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 of course. But anybody their age will remember him as a young comic that used to be on stage with Richard Pryor in that. But he, he's had a he had a long career before, as I said, God rest his soul, he died a few years ago. Um but yeah, I'm I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be here until you lot don't want me no more. Let's put it that way. Thanks, Slim. No problem. This has been a pleasure, Stuart. So that was Slim. What a joy. Thank you once again to Slim for coming on the show. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, I hope you've got as big a smile on your face as I have now, just listening back to it. Absolutely wonderful. Um, also, thanks to Nathan Wood for producing the show. Thank you to Jake Crossland for logging it. Your podcasting consultant is Peter Dobbing. Uh, and this show was produced as part of the Keep Brett Goldstein Sane Foundation. Um, th- did you did you see that? You, you not, not you, Brett. You, the listener. The other listener. <laughs> Um, did you see that corn-sand Brett Goldstein has been on fucking Sesame Street? God, I don't think I've ever been as pleased and, and filled with loathing at the same time. My God, the sheer whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. What's the, the sheer what? What quality is it that someone can have that makes them uh, sort of flicker between beloved friend and nemesis, <laughs> frankly. I can't believe he's been on fucking Sesame Street. Anyway, uh, well done to you, Brett Goldstein. Now, remember that uh, you can get hold of the extra content from this episode, 20 minutes uh, or so of extra stuff with Slim at uh, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, uh, as well as all of the extra the content, you, all of the extra bits and bobs, which are for a mere £2 a month or more if you'd like to pay more, but everybody gets the same stuff. Um, jump on there and uh, sign up and you get all the extra bits, including some loads of video stuff also if you fancy if you don't want to join the insiders club but you want to get on the mailing list then you get access to the video of an, an insiders only zoom q a special uh with uh, mr james acaster that we recorded last i'm gonna say last year time can't be moving that quickly every time i tell people as i did briefly on twitter recently oh sorry to, to find that um uh thing just go to stuartgoldsmith.com you'll find the, the link uh, to, to sign up um everyone on twitter i mentioned for some reason that the Bootross, my son is six and the amount of people who have been in touch since going six six i know i know it's my it has long been my theory that having a child is like firing an anchor into time itself and then you spend the rest of your life paying it out like you know, that's what you do with the rope isn't it? you pay it out as you walk backwards from that anchor because you might think of oneself once oneself might think oh one's a very sprightly 44 um and then as soon as you think oh the Boutros is six and then you know he's six and a half now and it's like time passing constantly have you heard that wonderful they might be giant song you're older than you ever were and now you're even older it's very good 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 one to send to people on their birthdays um, that'll do me for now. I think I should post Amble at you, but as you can probably hear, I'm um, literally out of breath just from talking. I can't believe I managed to do 90 minutes the other day in Leicester. Um, I'm, 
I, I'm not calling it, obviously it's not long COVID. I've only got over COVID a week ago, but all less than that. But, um, but I'm just out of breath getting out of bed. I was so lucky. I'm all jammed and vaxxed and everything and boosted. So, um, I haven't, um, I haven't had it as, as bad as many, but, um, oh, I haven't had it as bad as many. You're fucking Platitude Central. Um, well, Platitude Parkway at least. Um, my point being, Obviously, I've had a really lucky, gentle COVID situation, but I thought I'd be over it. Whereas now I'm like, oh, God, how much longer am I going to wake up tired? Apparently, this bit only lasts two weeks. Hey, horrifying medical news now. <laughs> oh, no, I can't talk about this. Um, uh, I just wanted to share with you a little something from my life, which is that uh, I stayed up for four hours um, from 11 till three in the morning uh, with the Boutros, who was undergoing the most traumatic uh, thing. Uh, there was a thing happening. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it was a disgusting childhood thing that was happening, which if you're an adult and you've got children, you'll sympathise with, and you'll also probably understand why I'm not going to say the thing out loud. But basically, it's the sort of thing which would have a child, it, once once only, medicine for it the next day, completely dealt with, um, would have a child writhing in agony in my arms, sobbing for four hours. And I don't yet know if I have recovered either from the sleep loss or from the sheer emotional overwroughtness of, holy God, I can't help the boy and he is in pieces. And it's probably the second worst night of parenting ever for me. Um, and ever's a bit strong. Uh, since he was in uh, hospital with breathing difficulties, which was a lot more frightening. Um, but this was like, well, I'm not frightened for him. I know what it is, but I just know that I can't help. Oh, my God. Um, every so often, I will have a tricky parenting experience, which just reminds me how incredibly fucking easy I've got it the rest of the time. So if you are out there parenting, holy hell... Uh, well done, you. <laughs> Why not just take... When In the very early part of my comedy career, I was reminded of this recently, for a few years, I would have, after starting being a comic, I would have those, oh my God, pinch me, I can't believe it, I'm a comic moments. And of course, those moments get fewer and further between and other things become important and what have you. And then and then before you know it, you're turning up at a gig where you think you're doing half an hour, uh, having having changed and kind of created a life around purely your desire to be on stage and then you get there and you go oh actually it's 40 minutes and you go oh for fuck's sake <laughs> do you know what I mean so you go you go through every that's one of the joys of this career isn't it you go through every every moment of like I'm so I cannot believe I'm doing it so oh god I haven't got to do slightly more than I'd anticipated have I please to say I'll get over that feeling quickly but there it is um so in that kind of a way, those moments of like pinch me, those happen with parenting as well. So if you are a parent and you haven't recently undergone one of those, holy Christ, this is so tough moments, why not just give yourself a little pat on the back now and remember that not only uh, have you dealt with those in the past and right now everything's fine, assuming it is, and I hope it is for you, um, then as sure as eggs is eggs, you've got another one coming up any day now. Good luck out there. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 